Welcome to Leverage Women Podcast, where we equip, inspire, and connect women in the leadership that God has called them to. Hello, it's Elizabeth Faulkner here, and I'm here uh, from as part of the Leverage team. I'm here with Anne Miranda and Krista Penner, and we're really excited to be here today and talk with you about our leadership journeys. Uh, because each of us have had a very unique journey, how God has led us into uh, the place where we are now. And so we thought it would be fun and interesting and inspiring uh, to hear the story of how God has led you over your life and brought you to this place where you are a leader. And so uh, the first question I want to ask you, and we'll see, one of you can just jump in, whoever's just the most eager to go uh, this morning, um, is when did you first know that you were a leader? When was that moment that you first knew? So I know when I was a kid, my, I used, people used to call me bossy. And so maybe that was my first uh, moment, but I actually think it was later when I was a teenager and someone kind of told me that I was a leader. What about for you? When did you first know that you were a leader? You go ahead, Anne. Yeah, I think um, a similar, uh, Elizabeth, they didn't call <laughs> me bossy, but they said that I, in elementary school, I had a teacher that said, uh, you seem to be influencing our class. And oh. so I, and she said that because of uh, academics and as a strong student and, and because of my writing and she just really started to fan um, my passion for writing at a really young age. Um, so that was kind of some seeds that were planted, but definitely in high school, I had a teacher call out leadership gifts and just say, hey, you are leading the tribe in social justice in those days. I was a leader of the social justice club. Um, and, uh, and then through that uh, different opportunity, she just opened up the doors for different opportunities to begin to practice and, and step into leadership and, and what she saw was my gifting at that time. Right. So not only she saw it in you, but she also gave you opportunities to leave. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. What about for you, Krista? When did you wow. first know that you were a leader? Well, I had a couple of pivotal things happen in elementary school. And a little different, like nobody ever really just called me out and said, you're a leader. But in grade three, I had the best grade three teacher, Miss Stebner. She, her classroom was immaculate. Everything was amazing. And we put on a Christmas play that year. Yeah. And of course there was this big, this big push in the classroom. All the girls wanted to be Mrs. Claus and all the boys wanted to be Santa Claus. And then there was like a myriad of roles for elves, you know. Mm -hmm. So I looked at the whole picture and went, what am I going to do with this? And what do I want? What do I want to be? And I didn't really fancy myself as being uh, popular enough or cool enough to be a Mrs. Claus. But I thought there's one pivotal uh, part in this play. It's mm -hmm. the elf who came up with the idea of how to save Christmas. And I actually wrote on the piece of paper when I submitted the role that I wanted, because, you know, you didn't audition, yeah. you, you just put on a piece of paper the role that you wanted. So there I am in grade three, writing down on a piece of paper, I want to be the elf 
that has the good idea that saves Christmas. Okay. Okay. I didn't even know how to spell the word idea. <laughs> I remember like looking at the word, like that's a hard word when you're in grade three. And I didn't even know how to spell it, but I wanted it. I, and I got the role and nobody else thought of that. And I got to be the elf that got to say, I have an idea. And then I laid out the idea and saved Christmas. That's so funny. I remember very specifically that, that understanding strategy as being important in grade three. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, of course, things came to fruition for me in grade four. And it was a very pivotal moment in my life when we were sitting around the lunch table talking about the political climate of British Columbia at the time. And I remember asking all of my friends, well, what color is the sign in your yard? Because it was an election. It was the, you know, a month before the election in BC. And everybody else had, like, in my books, the wrong color sign in their yard. And I remember going home and crying and, and, and just feeling mortified that I not only had the wrong color sign in my yard, but actually my dad had a trunk full of them and he was putting them up in other people's yards. Oh. <laughs> and I remember my dad saying, Krista, sometimes you just have to stand up for what's right and the principles that you believe in, even when nobody else around you is doing it. And I look back at those things and, you know, at the time didn't really think about them, didn't really remember them. But then as I grew up and you look back and even Elizabeth, you asking us that question, I'm like, yeah, yeah. there are pivotal things that happen in your life that really define who you are. So there you yeah. have it. I was the elf with the idea. It's interesting how those things really stick out in your memory, right? Because I can, I can remember very clearly being about 16 years old and my camp director looking at me and saying, Elizabeth, you are, you're a leader. You need, you need to um, step up and be a leader in your life. And then after that, he started giving me opportunities that were beyond my experience, right? And even my ability. And that, and that I, I'll never forget that moment when he, he did that. So I'm wondering who first helped you really and, and you kind of answered this already but i i'm guessing there's other people and i know krista you have people too who first helped you really believe that you were a leader yeah i think for me it was my this teacher um in high school well, a couple a couple of folks for sure she is yeah. one that had left a mark in my life um forever so Beata Hittrich, who has now passed away, and she's, she was, um, she just invested time to say, hey, I see this in you, mm -hmm. and okay, I'm going to, you know, pay for you to go to this conference, and pay for you to, like, you know, learn how to speak and articulate, and, and I wasn't a believer in those, in those days, right, like, mm -hmm. I was just a kid in high school, and, and this teacher, I just had grace and favor with her, and and um, she just embraced me. And through that, then, because of the opportunities, that's a have we're not qualified necessarily for those opportunities. And so then I ended up meeting other people through the, those connections, um, and actually ended up working for government at 13 years old. It's so funny, Krista. Both of us have some political <laughs> background, um, and in those days, there was uh, it was the Ministry Attorney General's office, and 
um, I had another, our chief executive officer took me under her wing as well and said, I just want to develop you as somebody that can lead other youth. So it was a very specific, um, but they were willing to give me kind of the skills that I needed at that time and develop me as this young person. Little did I know that how that was going to impact ministry, you know, many, many, many years later. Oh, interesting. What about you, Krista? Well, when I, when you ask that question, I think about, uh, you know, people who've mentored me uh, in high school, yeah. I got a job working at the Zion Park Manor in Cloverdale. And the woman who hired me was the administrator for the entire, uh, the manager of the entire operation, mm-hmm. a friend of our family. And I just admired her. And, you know, you think about mentors. There's some mentors that are up close and personal that, that say to you, I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to develop you. And then there's other mentors in your life who are just there and you watch mm-hmm. them and you go, I want to be like her. And I watched her manage myriads of people and, a really large operation with grace and poise. And she gave me opportunities. I worked in every department over the summer. I folded clothes, I served dishes, I scrubbed toilets, I scrubbed floors, I worked at the front desk. I basically did all the holiday relief. And I was just a teenager. And I remember her bringing me into her office and talking to me, and she believed in me. And I watched her and I went, I want to be like you. I want to be a high capacity woman like you. So just a key person. And in university, again, I connected with, rubbed shoulders with, learned from a woman who was actually one of the first uh, female directors of film in the United States. One of her films represented the United States at the Cannes World Festival. And she was, had her doctorate. Uh, in in film and just was a an absolute brilliant woman vibrant christian woman and she she spoke into my life she believed in me she helped me see beyond the small world that i felt like i lived in mm-hmm. and and said to me there's more and i remember in my university years she said to me and of course this is this is the ninth this is the 80s okay uh, people weren't even using personal computers yet <laughs> and she said to me, Krista, you need to take uh, some filming courses because everything is going to be digital in the next 20 years. I hardly knew what the word digital meant. Mm-hmm. So just an incredibly uh, forward thinking woman yes. that God placed in my life that really pushed me to know that I too could think outside the box and push push things forward. And I think that's been probably a a defining piece of of who I have been as a leader Mm -hmm. is always wanting more, always reading more, always thinking more, always wondering what else we could be doing Mm -hmm. um, in the sphere God's placed me in. So I look at those women and go, they were amazing. There's many others, but I don't want to chat in a way, but yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about mentors in your life. Cause I, I mean, every leader I talk to, somebody has mentored them in some way. So I, you know, I can think of countless different mentors and they kind of, some have mentored me in one moment. They've said the thing I needed to say, right? Other of them, others of them mentored me over, you know, a long time. 
and others a short time. I'm, and so I'm curious, and Krista, you mentioned a few, but I think you probably have a few more. When you think about leadership mentorship though, who, who like has been your key, what have been those key leadership mentoring moments uh, for you? What have they done um, for you? And yeah, maybe expand on that a little bit. You want me, maybe you want me to take that? Or Anne, do you want to talk about that? Well, I think we should both answer it. It's I think you both. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to hear from how it pertains to leadership now in in the ministry sense. Um, as we're you know leading now and leading in high school looks a lot different. Totally. Uh, and I think that uh, over the last six years now in it that I, I'm in, yeah. I've worked under various supervisors, and each one has been extremely unique uh, so um, appointed by God for that season in my life because I think that working under different people and with different people in, in my case they were able to call out different things in my leadership so the first one was to call, I've had like four or five different supervisors and I was thinking about this question going well the first the first person who I would how I worked with um, just affirmed the calling that God had on my life and said, I see this in you. I believe that he's called you for this. And then just said, go. And so that was like the first year uh, of coming into ministry for me, which was a definite call because for, for me to have left what I left, um, I think, uh, there, it, it was like a God intervention. I, that was a surrender of career and future ambitions. It was different for me. Leadership. I almost I could understand myself as a leader outside of ministry. I believed in myself more when I came into the church and started working in the church. I almost had a crisis of confidence. Yeah. I did have a crisis of confidence yeah. in my ability and who I was, and I needed that voice to call it out, and I needed that voice to say, "Hey, God is with you." You actually don't rely on your own abilities when we're looking at, you know, we're wired in a certain way. I get all of that, but there's a call that is different than I'm going to go and pursue a career and get my degree. And now I'm an expert in this field. Right. Um, I'm not an expert in this field. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm learning and just, I'm a servant in this field. It's very yeah. different leadership, I think. So the first person called me out and just said, yes, this is like affirmed me. And then the second one got me, helped me get over myself. And, and my insecurities and just said, get your eyes fixed on Jesus and stop fixing it on the people that are around you. And it was a season in my life where I had this confidence crisis and he really spoke life into me and helped me keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And then, you know, throughout the last uh, couple of supervisors, I've gotten a shift of all sorts of people, but um, the, the last ones are just like actually asking me really um, pointed questions to get me to the end goal, to, to, to set oh, me up for success. So they asked me these questions that might seem challenging and might actually at the beginning, I was like, do I need to get defensive over answering these questions? And afterwards, as I kind of would sit through um, and reflect more, I'm like, no, I don't need to be defensive. I need to actually embrace these questions because it's going to make me a better leader. They're helping me think out of the box, helping me think outside of myself and outside of um, my abilities and actually expanding my leadership. Hmm. So I think that's what came to mind when I was thinking yeah. about leadership and how it, it, it 
how it pertains to what I'm doing right now and right. people that have spoken into my life over the last few years. I love, I love how God does that, right? He just brings the right people at the right time to expand your influence in a way that you wouldn't have expected, right? I just, I love how God uses people like that. Uh, it's exciting. Yeah, Krista, what about you? Well, uh, it's interesting, man, that, you know, you had a crisis of confidence going into ministry and had been affirmed as a leader in the corporate world, in, in, your, in your educational field, like that wasn't an issue. And, and in many ways, I think that's a story for so many of us that are in leadership uh, within the context of church. So my first, um, sorry, I just had a little bit of a cough there. So if I sound a little sniffly, it's okay, I'll get over it. But I remember um, that uh, as I think back on this, my first experience with a powerful leader uh, was Joe Cohen at Sony of Canada. And I worked for him for many, many years. And he believed in me. He, he didn't think there was anything that I couldn't do. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'd go into work in the morning and he'd just be like, I can't believe that you just get better and better at what you do every day. I don't know what I'd do without you. You're my right and left arm. He built up my confidence and then showed me how to lead uh, in that setting. So I've actually done some breakout sessions and, and uh, informational seminars on leadership principles. And I've used his stories, things I learned from him in how to treat people. And we didn't share the same faith, but he had a deep respect for my faith and a deep respect for me. And so... He was huge for me. And of course, coming in to work at the Ministry Center under David Harita has been a huge boost forward for me. I, I would say that David has been the primary, um, most influential uh, leader in my life who has inspired me and pushed me. And kind of like what you've said, Anne, and you alluded to it too, Elizabeth, this idea of being pushed out of your comfort zone, people coming along at the right time and mm -hmm. confronting things in your life, making you think about things in a different light. I'd say that is, you know, David Harita to a T with me. So deep respect for him. And yet there were times he would irritate me because... He, he wasn't okay with the status quo. He would just push me on things. He'd be like, why are you okay with this? And I'd be like, I'm really not okay with it, but I wasn't sure what to do. And he would just push me. And he uh, does, I don't know if he remembers this, but one day early on in my tenure with the fellowship, he said to me, I can't believe that you haven't understood what kind of a leader you are. And I, and I just kind of, it kind of took me by surprise because nobody in my world had spoken that pointedly into my life and pushed me to more. And so, yes, and I've had those crises of confidence in my leadership in the context of church, because I think it's, it's a, it's a playground, uh, if you want to call it that, where we are, where we are uh, working hard and connecting with people and it's relational, relational, relational. And yet I think Satan comes in the back door and he plays, a, he plays games with our mind because the leadership that we're, that we're giving and the places we're going matter for eternity. I think the stakes are so high that we deal with some pretty ugly uh, a really ugly underbelly of thought processes that can sabotage what God's called us to do. 
because the battle's real and what we're faced with is life and death for people. It's eternity. It's, it's what life is all about. And so uh, we deal with those crises of confidence more often than we'd like to admit sometimes. I think that's what keeps us coming back to the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> going, I can't do this by myself. God, yeah. it's not about me. This is not for me to like to bear. I can't do it by myself. Because the other things I could do by myself. I could totally work in government, do whatever, you know, speak in front of university. I could do all that in my own strength in some capacity, but mm-hmm. not this. This is different. This is a different, like you said, playground, battlefield, all of that. And so I wonder if a lot of what happens in the leader is actually in, in mind. A lot of the struggle is in our mind. Yeah. At least that has been my battle is to get over myself and just like, let's, let's just keep what's important at the forefront. It's interesting because I know when that battle is strong for me, that confidence battle, I often go back to my calling uh, when God called me to kind of spirit more the spiritual leadership. I haven't had the same change from corporate to to more spiritual leadership as you have, but I, I remember when I'm feeling that lack of confidence, I often go back to what I call my orange carpet moment. When I was 18 and I was kneeling on the floor of my bedroom, which had ugly orange carpet, it was really disgusting. But I'll, I, I think I had orange carpet for a reason because I always, I go back to that moment and I remember kneeling on my carpet, asking God, what do you want to do with my life? I think there's more than being an engineer. I think you want more for me. And I remember very specifically God saying that he wanted me in ministry. And, um, and so often when I'm lacking that confidence, I go back to that moment. I go, I remember God calling me. So I wonder, do you, is there a moment where you knew that God was calling you to lead spiritually, to lead in oh, a different way? Yes. <laughs> now, I'm going to go first, Anne. I'm going okay. first. Go give, you, give you time to think. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this was, uh, um, I, I talk about this moment quite often. There's kind of a, a couple of things that happened in my life. One of them was that I found myself in my dad's little church in Surrey leading the children's church. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting up and I had all these little kids and I was 13 and I got up and gave the lesson just from what I knew of the scripture. And those kids didn't move a muscle for an hour. And I was sweating when I was done. And I remember looking back on it now, I remember it being a divine moment for me. And I really feel like I look back and recognize God's anointing on my life at that time for ministry. And then the battles ensued. And I was, I watched a parade of misfit missionaries walk through my church And I remember just going, I cannot fully surrender to the Lord because what if he calls me to be one of them? Like I, I could not wrap my head around being a missionary. Mm -hmm. I just looked at them. We had these, you know, these ladies came through, they all had mustaches and (laughs) they were, they wore ugly clothes and 
I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And I remember it was really tied up with the blessed blow dryer. And I talk about this story. God has taken me on a journey with my blow dryer all the way to Ethiopia, where I ended up shorting out two of them and recognizing that God was trying to tell me something. Anyway, when I was 15 years of age, it wasn't an orange carpet, but it was a summer camp and a big campfire and a call out of the book of Nehemiah to follow Christ fully, like just to surrender everything. And God in his mercy gave me a camp counselor named Janice Knox. And Janice had grown up as a missionary in Cyprus. And she was the most lovely person I had ever met in my life. Gentle spirit, kind. She embodied everything that I wished I was. She was quiet. I was loud. She had naturally curly red hair. I had straight brown hair. Um, it's going to be brown again soon if we, I can't get to the hairdresser soon. Anyway, um, I remember that God gave her to me and I watched her and I wanted, I want to be like, I want to be like Janice. And there was this call to go down an aisle and stick a, a piece of wood in a fire and go, God, I surrender to you. And it was really a moment of putting a stick in the fire and feeling God light a fire in me. And I can say it never went out. Like it's just been there. It was like a fire in my belly to uh, lead for righteousness sake is the way I would put it to, to, to help people understand and navigate the gospel story uh, as the centrality of their lives. That has really been at the core of what I feel God's called me to. And along the way, you end up inspiring and leading others to do the same. And the leadership kind of just organically came out of that fire that got lit in my belly. So Elizabeth, that is my orange carpet experience. That's your orange carpet. Yes. Well, yeah. What about you, Anne? You yeah. have an orange carpet moment. Yeah, mine involves shiny shoes. Oh, uh, I love it. <laughs> Oh, I'm liking this. <laughs> it was my come to Jesus moment. I was 19. Uh, it's a long, long story, but I found myself at the end of a service um, accepting Christ for the very, very first time in my, my life, really, to say, Lord, I want you to be the boss of my life and, and direct my path. I've been in control of my life, and I'm making a mess out of this, and I think it's all perfect, but help me. And I remember the pastor's shoes, and it that... Um, there are these black shiny shoes and my tear dropped on his shoe and I went oh my gosh you know I, I need to clean his shoe how do I clean his shoe but I, I remember this moment and then and in my mind what was the the tape that was playing in my mind was that I would die for this now like right like that I would just die, I would die for this I'm gonna make it I'm gonna say Jesus I love you um, take mm -hmm. control of my life but really what I'm really saying is I would die for this. I'd take a bullet for this. Um, and so I think at that point, I knew that there was something more. I was coming to say, Jesus, I love you and I want you in my life. But that there was something definitely stirring like this, this passion, like what you're saying, that fire, Krista, that mm -hmm. has not burnt out. And so after um, that, I was beginning to devour the word and just go, how do I learn this thing? Because I need to learn this thing. And the, in my loneliness, it was the passage of Isaiah 61 that I encountered. And I went, what? I can give him my shame and he will give me honor. 
and I will give him all this like disgrace and sorrow and grief and he can give me a double portion of joy and the words just kept hitting me every verse was like I will set the captives free and I'm like but I want to be free and it was this beautiful divine exchange that was beginning to happen and and me experiencing the power of that like the living word in my loneliness that I think um those are the things I remember now on a on a you know a day that's discouraging I go oh whoa that was that's this is real stuff this is real um and then there is the actual like call out of my the career path that I was w- walking on. And that was actually so supernatural. Uh, I actually had a dream, like a, like an actual dream. I like, I had a dream that one day, my, you know, like <laughs> an actual dream that happened and, and it came true. And so I think of those things when I'm, when I reflect on, you know, my leadership journey. To, to yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> powerful. You know, it's powerful. God pursues us. He pursues us in our loneliness. He pursues us. It's really powerful to now declare it and confess it like this. I haven't haven't told this story for quite some time. So I'm like, wow, Lord. (laughs) Like we're sitting here doing this podcast. And I'm like, this is like a real life that is, is, uh, you know, our journeys and how then he starts to craft our lives to intersect. It's just wild. Well, and you know, as you say that, it's so interesting to think about how you, you realize how important it is to tell your story of how God called you, because it helps somebody else put some parameters around what they're feeling or seeing in their lives and maybe giving them the courage mm. to just press into that call, because it's a risk to step out of your comfort zone and lead it's a risk to lead in the kingdom of god for sure because there's so many unknown variables to that and you never feel qualified there's there's not a degree there's not a certificate that says now i'm ready to lead in this area you you get up every morning and go are you sure lord that you should have picked me that's how you feel as a leader and so i think and as we tell the story as elizabeth shares her story here i i look at this and i go yeah we need to be reminded to remind each other uh, and we recognize the power of the narrative in encouraging others to follow and do the same absolutely I think now when I'm hanging out with you guys, I'm going to think about shiny shoes and a roaring fire, and mine seems much less romantic. <laughs> <than> more- <laughs> oh no, here's oh, a good story. It's, not, it's you know, uh, that's kind of funny. Uh, but anyways, you've kind of hinted along this that leadership is difficult, right? And part of our journey as leaders is are those stretching times whether it's someone who points something out to us or something that happens in our life so i wonder i wonder and we're all different as leaders so our struggles are different so i wonder what is that thing in your leadership that keeps you coming back to the lord you know i i think krista has said this before to me it's that thorn in your flesh of your leadership and uh, I was trying to, I was thinking, what is this for me? And I, over the last few, five years, I really think my thorn in the flesh has been this struggle between pride and humility. I think it was about five years ago, God confronted me with the, the fact that I was way too proud of the kind of leader I was. And it brought me kind of down to my knees, 
realizing how much I needed um, God to work through me. And it wasn't about me. But then I did this terrible swing to being too humble, where I thought too little of myself and who I was and how God wanted to use me. And I still, I fight that a little bit. I often find myself having to pray through that and figure out, okay, what should I be proud of? What should I be humble about? I don't know. So I'm wondering, do you have something like that? That's kind of your thorn in your flesh in your leadership that you have to keep coming back to God about? Yeah, I think for me, it's, I'm such a high level achiever. Like any one of those personality tests I could take, it's like achieve, achieve, achieve is like number one. Yeah. Achieve, learner, that kind of thing. Um, and so my coming, like I, my thorn in my flesh is that I want to achieve in my own ability and mm. that I understand that I can't. And so sometimes that brings me to like, literally to my knees going, God, I want to achieve so badly. And I want this goal and that goal. And I want to set goals. And then I want to go and like, and almost I, I can risk creating ministry as if it's some kind of business or franchise or something like that. And it's not. And so I think I have to remember, I always have to remember I'm a co-laborer with Christ advancing his kingdom on this planet it has nothing to do with me. It's more to take the posture of a, C, of a, of a servant than the CEO. He's the CEO. And so like getting to that point of releasing that, the, the, I guess this dense, internal desire to thrive and to achieve um that uh, you know this isn't mine to bear all i have to do is is uh follow his commands and be obedient uh, to take the posture of yes maybe overseer apostle i always look at how the disciples they would write in the bible like peter i'm an apostle but yet he'll go you know, Paul, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm like, ah, oh, how did they do this? Like, I'm an apostle, so I'm a leader, I'm overseeing, and then I'm a servant. Like, they know when to describe themselves as that. And so that, that I think, would be my struggle. Yeah. 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 I think that's, you speak to a lot of us, Anne, when you talk about that being in and Elizabeth too, like, all of these things that we, that we struggle with, and, and I can relate to, to everything that you've said, I think about how um, I'm so driven to be a performer, to get things done. I mean, if there's, there's nothing I like better than to have a list of things to do and just start making check boxes beside it. I mean, I got on this call with you guys this morning, but before I did it, I wrote the mentor update for the Immerse program because, you know, I'm just going to get stuff done. And, and that makes, there's a sense of accomplishment in that. So then I have to ask myself the question, okay, so Krista, if you um, are a performer and you're going and you're doing and you're being, and I mean, when, when I was in grade three, I walked into the kitchen and I, I had on a navy dress and I had bright green socks. And I said to my mom, I want you to know, mom, that this actually matches because they're complementary on the color wheel. I mean, I was like all about everything just being just so. And I remember I had a few moments like that when I was 15. I walked into the kitchen and I said, well, I could get married tomorrow. And my mom said, really? Yep, I can cook, I can clean, and I can fill it in an income tax form. Like, I just learned how to do that in school. So, like, just go, 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 do, do, do. And then I go, okay, so is that my issue? 
Maybe it is. But then as I've dug deeper and done work with my um, looking at my internal drivers and my really worked on my self-awareness, um, it came to me a number of years ago that really what I struggle with is a deep-seated insecurity that drives me to perform in order to get the accolades that I need because I don't think I'm enough. I'm never enough. Mm -hmm. And it even goes back to the story that I told you earlier about wanting to be the elf with the idea. I looked at the girls in my classroom who wanted to be Mrs. Claus and I'm like, of course they could be Mrs. Claus. They're way prettier and they're way smarter than me. I can't have that job. So there's all of this, all of these reasons for why I would choose the things that I, that I, and pursue the things that I did based on not really feeling like I fit in. And I think, um, you know, I've struggled with that. I've asked God to take that from me. I have read the scriptures and um, I pulled out the second Timothy chapter one, verse, uh, verse 12 to share during our time today, because this verse really encapsulates the struggle that I have with this. And it says there, Paul says to Timothy, he says, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And that verse became so real to me as a young girl because I, because I was performance driven and because everything had to be about what I could do, I worried I could lose my salvation because I knew I was a dirty, rotten sinner. I was, we used to joke that in our house, I was the first and the worst. And I really was. My sister just looked at me and went, no, I'm not doing that because it really got her in a lot of trouble. And I, I would just, I just like barreled on ahead trying to figure this stuff out. And I remember just struggling with, did I really, was Christ real in me? Was this real? And God in his mercy through my parents gave me this verse but it is it has come to mean more to me now in my adult years i am not ashamed there's no shame in me because i know whom i have believed and i am convinced that he's able to keep that which i've committed he'll guard that in the in the king james that which i've committed unto him against that day is what it says in the king james version i memorized it as a young girl and I think that probably that struggle, it's a struggle that we see Paul having in, in the middle of, of Romans there in Romans chapter seven. I think the struggle, uh, that in, in, inward struggle, I don't know that it will ever leave me. I don't know if overcoming it is really the best thing because when I recognize what it is, it sends me back to the foot of the cross. And I really believe that I need that. I need that continual repentance and that continual running back to the foot of the cross, that continual dependence on God. And when my insecurity raises its ugly head, which it does more often than not, it reminds me of who I really need and, and who, who before, before Christ there isn't, I have no shame. I'm okay the way I am. I need that. So that really is what I struggle with. I wish as I grew older, it got better, but I don't know that it does. I think my ability to depend on Christ has been uh, fortified and strengthened and become habitual for me. Uh, but certainly that struggle has shaped me. 
interesting because these different you both said and I, I have the same experience that these these inner struggles keep us coming back to God and uh, it's interesting that you have a verse Krista that you keep going to I'm curious Anne, is there a verse that you keep going back to that helps you with that struggle yeah I think it's uh, I don't think I have one in particular mm -hmm. I think I have to just remind myself to have to to trump the lie with the scripture yeah yeah and so whatever it is like right now I'm in Peter and I'm like I get deep in study in one book and I just keep on going and I get deeper and deeper and it's like hey I've got I've got living hope of the resurrected Christ mm -hmm. well if I can apply that to my insecurities and my fear of failure and all of this you wow. know that then it trumps the lie and then I can actually overcome. I go, oh, you know, thank you, God. And then, you know, I keep on reading it. So stand firm in what I've taught you. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to stand. It's like oxygen. Yeah. And then it actually destroys the power over the lie that I'm believing. Um, I did something this, this last week where I was really having a struggle before I was going to teach this class, this online class. And I confessed it to one of my, my prayer team um, staff folks that I have never talked to, to about this stuff. I just said, Hey guys, I'm feeling like totally insecure. This is ridiculous. It's rubbish. Like I know, I know it's ridiculous. So I'm just going to mm -hmm. say it out loud. So it loses its power over my mind. And it was such a humbling experience to talk to these, you know, these young cancer folks, guys that were praying with me. And mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Because it was immediate. This thing lifted. And it was the first time that I had experienced something like that that was so, so fast. Because usually I can really spiral. And so I'm like, okay, there's power in God's word. And that's all they were doing, praying scripture. They were like going at it, praying scripture. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so powerful. It's like, I know this. It's not like we don't know. We know yeah. that it's a battle. We know that it's, that we're flesh and that, you know, it's God who is on the throne. We know, we know these things, but it, there is something powerful about actually confessing them. You know, God is so faithful. He, he, he we, I'm reminded of how much he loves us despite all the issues that we have. And we talk about these issues of insecurity for so many years when I would go and preach the word of God to different, at different churches and uh, present the gospel. I, I remember struggling with nobody like me. It was terrible. It was, it, I, why am I doing this? Like, you know, I, I remember distinctly being in the front row ready to speak at a women's retreat and going, this would be a really great time for the rapture. Like right now, I don't want to do this. I do not even know. I, like this is an, I, I'd have these out of body experiences in the front row. And I remember this one time in particular I went, it was one of those one-time wonder shots. It was an evening event at a church in Surrey. And I took my mom with me. And every time I take my mom places, they all love my mother. Everybody loves my mother. And in that night, it was no, no, uh, no exception. The woman who'd asked me to come to speak actually globbed on and loved my mother. And I remember feeling really unloved in that moment and not feeling good about what I spoke about, like nothing about it was good. And I went home, beat myself up. And my husband will say, there's so many times over the years I've come home and said, well, I'm never doing that again, like never doing that again. And this one particular time has stuck out in my mind because 
God in his mercy knew the struggle that I was in and he didn't leave me there. He knows our capacities. He knows there's times when we can shore up, shore up, open the word of God and, and he will fill us. And there are times when you're so far from even opening up the word of God, you're just in a pit. And he knows those pits and he will pull us out. And if I did not get a phone call from that woman the next day at that church and she said, I, and she was real prim and proper. And she says, you know, I just thought you'd want to know. And I, I was just waiting for it. I was thinking she's going to tell me it was a bomb. A bo- it was a, a, a bomb and that I had said something heretical. I, I didn't know. But she says, I don't know if you are interested in knowing these things. But, you know, when you prayed at the end for people to accept Christ, 11 women prayed to accept Christ that night, last night. <laughs> and, I, and I remember going, oh, Lord, thank you. Uh, and it was at once an encouragement and a chastisement. Mm-hmm. It was like, see, Krista, if you just show up and are courageous and will do what I've called you to do and, and, and you will lead. When we talk about leadership, I think it's really important for our listeners to remember that leadership is not leading the helm of an organization, not leading a group. We're talking about leadership in the context of our influence. And if you choose to allow, allow yourself to be a vessel of influence for the gospel, God will fill you up. He will meet you in that. But it is a courageous act to stand up and lead, no matter what it looks like or, or, or the, the context that it's in. And that reminder, I'll never forget that. I, I still think about how... God used what I thought was a total flop. As my dad would say, it was a sermon that just like never got off the ground. That's kind of how it felt. Like it never took flight, you know, and yet God used it. And there are 11 women who prayed to accept Christ into their lives. That that was their opportunity. That was their moment. And so when we take our moments to lead, we have no idea where God is going to show up. And that really is the reminder that I need constantly when I think about the insecurity that can so easily drown me. Yeah. 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 That fear of failure is, is huge for leaders. Yeah. I know many leaders who don't struggle with that. Um, but it's interesting because failure is also a big part of our journeys, right? Of how God grows us, how he stretches us, how he helps us to, reach new levels that we never thought we could do. So I know that you have failed at some point. It's hard to believe because you guys are amazing. You're amazing leader and uh, looked up to, but I know that you have um, had those moments of failure. I'm wondering um, if you'd be willing to share one of those times where you failed and then how did that help you or harm you? Because we always think that failure only we tend to say, oh, it helps you. <laughs> it's going to help you get better. But sometimes it does actually harm you. So I'm, I'm curious, when have you failed? How has it helped you or harmed you? Like, how much time do we have? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. Great. <laughs> right. Yeah, we don't have, like, all day here. <laughs> so a lot of what I do is not, like, in the leverage circles, what, what most of the time I'm leading or teaching or something like that. But a lot of what I do on the day to day is leading teams and um, almost like a maestro of an orchestra or something like that, where they are the ones that get to 
you know, play the music. They get, you know, they get to do that, the ministry and, and shine in that way where they're loving on other people and creating events and um, serving others. And so uh, that means working with a lot of different personalities, a ton of personalities that are different. And I think I'm trying to figure out each person. Um, one massive fail that I've had is sometimes hurting people unintentionally um, mm. because we're like, let's do this thing or that thing, or they're, you know, hurting people, I think, and not realizing. And then um, this is one that I've been reflecting on recently. And then, and then realizing, and then asking for forgiveness, but knowing that person hasn't forgiven you a hundred, haven't forgiven me hundred percent. And then how do you work through that? That's, that's just hard, hard, hard. Um, another big fail is, um, when we've had different, you know, amazing activities or events and that kind of thing. And it feels like a big win and I'm quick to critique because I want to improve it for the next time. Mm -hmm. And so not actually sitting and celebrating the win mm -hmm. and going, Oh, this is so amazing. 11 people came to Christ or, <laughs> Whoa, this is so amazing. Our team worked together so well or whatever. Celebrating the great things that have happened. I'm like, Oh, next time we should do this. And next time we should do that. And next time we should. And then I, my mind goes to that first then. So I've had to train myself actually, mm -hmm. um, to stop and actually, actually like this is crazy. You may think I'm insane after this, but I actually schedule in celebrations into my calendar now. Yeah, um, and thanking people yeah. <laughs> because just the same way as I can go, go, go and forget about celebrating, I forget about, oh, we need to thank people. And, and then I'll do that intentionally too. I'll actually put it in my calendar. I'll actually put because that doesn't come natural to me. I just want to go on to the next thing because we've just finished something, right? It's that achiever again, that next thing <laughs> I'm going to continue moving on. So those are huge fails that end up hurting people and then trying to navigate through that is, uh, is messy. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, I totally relate to that, Anne, and just go, 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 do, do, do. And Oh, there's like sometimes like a wake of destruction behind you as you carry on, you know? Um, I remember a few, a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to have an intern from Moody Bible Institute work with me here in the lower mainland. And she was from Ontario. So she came out, she lived in my house and worked with me all summer and she was just young. And uh, I remember when I look back on it, we had a pretty good summer. I gave her some rope. She nearly hung herself with it, but we figured it out and she did some stuff and she learned some stuff. But I think my relationship with her never, uh, the relationship didn't get fostered and built because I made the leadership mistake of trying to turn her into Krista Penner point two rather than really learning to see what she was about, who she was as a person. She was this young 20 year old in my house, different generation, different ideas. And I had this idea that, oh good, I've got a, a woman here that wants to be in women's ministry. I'm gonna help her see how I do it because in my brain at the time, this young person, this is, this is I'm gonna make her like me, then it'll all be good. And I think that that's a, leader, a leadership mistake that I have learned from, and I don't do that anymore. I look to see how people can actually blossom in who they are and how God has gifted them. But certainly, I look back, and that is a regret. 
that I have and uh, you know, try to make things right with her. And, and I think it went okay, but I certainly could have, if I could do it over, I would have done it differently is what I'm saying. And just to follow up what you talked about, Anne, um, in regard to uh, this whole idea of um, asking for forgiveness, I think what we have to reconcile ourselves to when we do make mistakes in leadership and we do ask for forgiveness uh, and we aren't given the forgiveness that we think that we need, that's, that's a place where we have to rest in, in our faith and in what God's going to do in that person's life and in our, per, and in our lives. And I have gone back and requested forgiveness like three years after the fact, because God kept bringing something to my mind, somebody that I had worked with that she felt wronged and I didn't get it because I was just going a hundred miles an hour. And I went back and I, and I remember God giving me peace, even though I don't know that she really forgave me. Um, I had a piece that I had done the right thing. And I think as leaders, we have to rest in that, that you, you know, and I think back that those verses in Psalm 37 are so poignant to me where the scripture talks, David talks about how he will make my justice shine like the noonday sun. And I've grabbed onto that and went, I have to do the right thing and then let the Lord just be in charge of this because I can't fix it. There's not, there aren't enough thank you cards uh, spa gift certificates, Starbucks coffee cards that I could give to fix this. Mm-hmm. But I can actually just from my heart ask for the forgiveness and then not let that define me, but carry on. Because I think that's one of the, one of the cruel underbelly pieces of this relational, um, relational issues that we have is if, if, it, if you can't get over it, it will actually stymie you from fruitful ministry going forward because you're hung up on it. And so it's believing that, that God is going to give you what you need to carry on and that he's going to meet that person and help them work through their unforgiveness uh, and their issues because you can't, you can't fix it. And I think that's a big thing for us, especially for women, because we kind of want everything to be like a great big happy tea party. <laughs> yeah. It's, inter- it's interesting that you both mentioned relationships as being kind of your, where the failure happened. Cause I, I wrote down something really similar is that my biggest failures have been the times I've kind of bowled over people to accomplish something right. Where I've forgotten to consider somebody's feelings or what they needed in order to accomplish the goal. And uh, anyways, it's, it's a good thing to know that, but it also, I don't know about you, I've, it's helped help me correct myself as well and realize that people are very much a part of reaching the goal. They're the, actually the most important part of that leadership. And so that ability to lead through others, care for others, um, be patient with people along the journey becomes, um, you know, almost higher than that actual goal of accomplishing something sometimes. You know, they're both important, but yeah, uh, interesting. Well, I just thought to wrap this up because um, I know at our leverage events, we love hearing from Krista and Anne. We love being inspired and equipped by them. And uh, you're both such unique leaders. I'm wondering if you could share what is your uh, leadership style? What do you think you uniquely offer in how you lead? Um, does that ever get you in trouble? 
Um, but what it, what is unique about you? To wrap up, like we want to hear what's you know special about you and how you lead. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, sure. I think that I think that I'm uh, my leadership style is collaborative. Uh, I really do believe that a win for the, the team, like, is a win for everyone. Um, I definitely am quick to equip folks and then release them into what, you know, just, again, the same things that have happened kind of in our lives. Someone has spoken into our lives and to my life. I believe in you. I see this gift in you. Uh, here are the tools that you need. And, okay, let's go. Of course, that's going to get me in trouble because sometimes that person needs a little bit more onboarding. But I'm willing to take. That's awesome. Willing to take a risk. Yeah, I am because somebody took a risk on me multiple times, and I I like really failed. Like really, like oh my gosh, we haven't even gotten into some stuff, especially in that learning. Um, the learning phase. Uh, there's just so many things that, you know, I will, I will be willing to take a risk and to adapt to that uh, so that folks can learn, people can learn as they are, you know, as they're living it out, living out their leadership, living out whatever God's, you know, destined for them. They're, they need to be given an opportunity. And so coming alongside people like that when we're not perfect is interesting. To, to try to navigate but that's definitely part of my leadership style for sure um sometimes i this i see like lots of word pictures and so i see it like kind of like a military where the person who's leading the charge um is supposed to lead by serving the other people no matter what rank they're in they're supposed to get to know them they're supposed to serve them know their families like care for them and some really intentional now with my teams especially those that are the high level leaders to to know them so that when we and know them and so that they know I care about them because when we're called to go do the hard thing i need to be able to go okay let's go like let's go army. Uh, we're going to do this together, but because they know that we care, then we're willing to do this. Um, we're willing to go all in. I think because really embedded in my leadership style is that I am willing to die for this. And that comes out. I believe my passion for Jesus comes out, whether it's teaching or planning a conference behind the scenes, that's, that's going to come out that together I'm willing to die for it. And I actually, that's an expectation I have on my team that we're, we're willing to die for this together. Isn't that interesting how that just all, it all circles back to your calling. Yeah. 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 So. Very interesting. What about you, Krista? You know, I, just as I'm listening to Anne, thinking about, you know, the journey that God's had me on. And I mean, Elizabeth, you're on my team. We work together. Mm -hmm. I, I think that uh, a big part of my leadership paradigm has been collaboration. I want to hear from others, want to go, and it's but it's coupled with a real vision for where we're going. And so I think I I think that you know my collaborative heart is there, and I want that to be a piece of it. And yet, let's go, let's go, let's keep our eye on the prize the vision mission of who we are um, where we're going uh, telling people who Jesus is 
yeah, it comes back to my calling for sure. A number of years ago, we had a, a, a guy come and speak to our mentors and he was a real uh, a business leader. He just passed away this last month. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. He's part of uh, Andy Stanley's church and he was an elder in Andy Stanley's church. His name, is, his name was Reggie Campbell. And Reggie and I got to know each other because he came and hung out. I had him come and took him for lunch and we chatted. And he said to me at one point, he said, if I can give you any advice, he said, um, I think what I see in you is that you care so much, it could kill you. And so if my, I guess in a simple, I would, I look at that and I think uh, that would probably be a way I would define my leadership style because I really care. Mm -hmm. I really care how people are doing. I really care that we move the ball down the court. I really care that Jesus is exalted and given the glory. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it keeps me awake at night. So I think when he said that to me, it, it, it kind of hit me that he was kind of like, it was like Google Earth view of Krista Penner and, and a, coming from a really wise man who'd walked many years on this earth. And I thought, yeah, that probably, so in some ways, you know, when we talk about our leadership style as we've all, you know, we, we look at these things, our best and our worst are always rolled into one. So mm -hmm. it's the best of me that I care. And it's the worst of me that I care so much. I'm awake at three o'clock in the morning sweating thinking about it. So that would probably, that's probably it in a nutshell. I can't. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, this has been a great conversation. As I forget which one of you said, just hearing each other, that sharing of, of people's stories is really important. But it's interesting the similarities, isn't it? We all had someone who saw something in us. We all had those experiences where we were stretched whether we failed or someone challenged us. And then we've all had um, people or organizations or uh, something or someone who's invested in us and helped us to, to reach where we are now. And I'm sure that's gonna continue. So thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared about your journey. I feel like we need another podcast all about failure. Uh, yeah. We didn't get deep enough into that one. So I think we're going to have to go deeper on that sometime. And any last word before we sign off today? I just want to say thank you, Elizabeth, for uh, leading us through this discussion. And I want to say to our listeners, uh, you are not alone. Uh, as you are navigating God's call on your life, you need to know that we are all navigating that call. We are all waking up in the morning, putting our feet on the floor and going, God, today, I'm yours today. We take this thing uh, one day at a time. We recognize God's sovereignty in our lives. And we recognize that we can't do this without his strength and his power. And so um, I hope that our, our listeners uh, will understand and th that a little bit more about us in that sense, and also understand a little bit more about themselves and their call, recognizing that God uses us right where we are today, all our warts, all our issues, all our, all our failures. He still considers us to be the best catalyst 
for the truth of who he is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an incredible honor and blessing to be able to serve alongside you ladies and the rest of our leverage team. So thanks today, Elizabeth, for leading us through this. Yeah, thank you, Elizabeth. It's just been awesome. We're actually living out our statement to leverage our collective strength for a God-honoring impact. And that's our heart is really to honor God through our stories and through whatever we're creating for leverage. And so we pray that this would be something that can really inspire and equip people and connect us in, uh, together as leaders. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time.